0: Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome everybody online to, to Keep the Promise Church. I'm Angela, and I am just blessed to have an opportunity to share Jesus with you. I don't ever come here, I always try to preface things because people watch stuff online and assume things. Hey, I don't know everything. I know Jesus, and I'm going to try to share with you what he's done with me. So uh, with that said, today where I'm kind of trying to go is the, the red letters. You know, your, your Bible, I don't know some of you have a Bible. It's been on my heart lately that there are a lot of people that don't. And the more people that I talk to, I said, do you have one? And they say, well, no, where do I get it? And so I I believe that's something that we're going to begin to do, buddy, along the way is say, if you don't have one, you send me a text or email, and I will assure that you get one. Uh, But they have this uh, amazing thing inside your Bible. If you've spent some time with it, you'll know that all of a sudden the text color changes. And it changes for emphasis. It's trying to show you these are the words of Christ. These are things that Jesus said specifically. So I thought today, maybe we should get into the Jesus says of things. Because as we roll into Palm Sunday, you know, Palm Sunday where they said, Hosanna, welcome God, Lord God, King of kings, Lord of lords, Hosanna. And then days later, crucify him. Very same voices. Those that were calling out Hosanna had heard some of the things Jesus had said. And they knew of his miracle power that God had given him. They knew the authority in which he walked. And they were astounded by it. But again, as I, as I get into scripture and try to share the word with people, I realize less and less people really know what's in this book. So let's talk for a second about just the book in general, the Bible. Can you hit the beautiful bean footage? Here we go. Okay, so the Holy Bible. It's been around for a while. It's got thousands of words and all sorts of information. It never grows old. It was written over a period of 1,500 years. Well, that spans, I don't know, somewhere around 40 generations. Now, all that information being gathered together in 66 books and 1,189 chapters. The Word of God is powerful. It's relevant. It was written at the time in three languages on three different continents. And by the time it was all gathered together, it contained 613 Old Testament laws. Those were laws that were intended to bring people closer to God, to show you how to appease God, how to worship God, how to sacrifice. Jesus was asked, which of these laws is the greatest? And he thought for a moment and he said, an ancient Jewish creed. Jesus told them, love the Lord your God. With all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then he added, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, in a matter of moments, took the complexity of all of those books and he condensed the entire word of God into two phrases that should direct our lives. Giving his followers a new creed for life. Helping him to understand there was a call to a personal relationship. That in all of this history, there was a creed he wanted us to follow. That's what's in the Bible. So all of those promises, so as we start at the beginning of things, as we begin to... Am I still on? Oh, sorry. He was asked, which law is the greatest? Now... The complexities of the law, 613, that's a lot. And as the Pharisees and Sadducees and all the thieves were trying to figure out how to trick Jesus into saying the wrong thing, they, they wanted him to please say something about himself, redirect to, hey, you know, uh, uh, don't do this or don't do that, or, or somehow make the Pharisees all upset that he was saying the wrong things. But he just kept redirecting, redirecting back to God, redirecting back to faith. And so when he was asked which one is the greatest, he said, love your God with all your heart and with all your mind and all your strength. He was making it personal. He was saying, each of you, your heart, your mind, your strength, love God. That's hard to argue with. That was hard for them to find fault with. They were looking very hard. This was all leading up now to we're going to have a triumphant entry. We've got all these things about to happen. Jesus, in this point, I believe, has already come into the city. They're still trying to figure out how he is. What, what is it about him? Why are these people following him? Jesus was constantly trying to redirect to what was really important. A needed change in perspective. A change in their focus. And a capacity to know and serve God. Jesus was issuing a call to step out of the bondage and into the relationship with God. The chasm that he was bridging had to do with the development of a, relation, a personal relationship with God. During this, this whole period in history, it was about when you don't know what to do, you go here, they talk to God for you, they will then tell you what to do. You can talk to God, you can attempt to pray, but there were all these methods and sacrifices and things that you had to do to to be in the presence of God and, and to know how to speak to him. But Jesus knew that freedom was coming. Freedom was coming. And we sing all these songs about free indeed. For this period in time, do you understand what freedom meant? Do you understand how a good three-quarters of this, of this book pre-Jesus, that it was powerful and it was complicated. Jesus understood that freedom was coming. And more often than not, when I talk to unbelievers, they say, freedom from what? Now, when you and I talk, we talk about freedom from sin, which is a very personal thing, something we have done or said or thought, and we need to cross that chasm into forgiveness. But this was also the freedom from the bondage of having to do things a certain way in order to have God hear your voice. The same God that says he knows every hair on your head or or lack thereof. He He knows you. He knows you by name. That was quite a transition for people to begin to realize that there was a God that loved them and that knew them and that cared for them And that there was a a freedom coming. In the Old Testament, God gave 248 positive commandments, 365 negative ones, the don'ts. So we got the 613. I was going to pull up a website and scroll through them because as I was looking at them, it's kind of amazing. But let's just take a few. (laughs) It was an overwhelming, overwhelming process to look at. As I began to look at the 613 and go, wow, what is the... What is it that, that they were being commanded to do? Because I had never spent any time looking at the laws. I read the Bible plenty of times, but I hadn't spent a whole lot of time on each law. And then all of a sudden I began to realize, the man, it was complicated. So like on the, on the new moon up there, let's say number 42, num- 42 in Numbers 28-11. Uh, uh, and in the beginning of the month, you've got to offer a burnt offering unto the Lord. You've got to bring two bulls, one ram, seven lambs. And they need to be without spot or blemish. Holy moly. All right, now, that, that's, on the moon, that's on the new moon because I want to make sure that God's happy with me, that, that I am pleasing the Lord, that I'm making an offering to the Lord. I want him to know that, God, I need you And and I don't want you to be mad with me. I don't want you to get upset with me because, see, I've seen stuff. I've heard stuff. See, there were these frogs and there was this plague. And then I saw Moses and he, like, touched the water and it turned to blood. Like, God can do stuff. And, oh, yeah, there was that Moses guy, you know. He had the staff. Remember the pharaoh had the snake. And I remember the Charlton Heston version of this. Do any of you remember this? I mean, I can remember. Seven or eight years old. And Moses said, fine. And he drops his staff down and it turns into that serpent and eats the other guy's serpent. And then the freak out part where he reaches down and grabs his tail and it turns back into a staff. Now that to me was some serious faith in God to reach down and touch a serpent's tail. But it not only did he touch it, but it had eaten the other one. These people had seen and heard this stuff. They knew that God was, God was big. He was awesome. Okay, there were these people and they walked around this walled city and those walls were enormous and the battle plan was huge and the guys were enormous and they had no weapons or anything and they walked around and they didn't say a word. And then God said and they sounded the trumpet and they hollered, Hosanna, they were, glory to God! And the walls fell down. These people knew those stories. They knew the power of God. They knew that God was somebody they did not want to make angry. But as I have read all of these things, I, I don't see anything including Grace. I don't see anything that says, and now God forgives you, you never have to offer a sacrifice again. You never have to kill your sheep or your yam or your bulls. You, you never have to, to go and find a, a specific colored dove on a certain day and do this, that, or the other thing. Can you imagine that calendar? I would be a failure as an Old Testament Christian, I think. I can barely keep school, the bus, work. I can, ba- I can barely get to the grocery store. And can you imagine if I had to remember every first moon, I got to go get two of these, six of those, five of these. Now I got to take them someplace and I got to kill them. And I please, God help me. And I got to kill animals, which I don't know that I'd have the capacity to do, but I'll do it because God is telling me to do it. But I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying, do you see how complicated that is? There had to be a better way. Then I went on and I said, oh, well, it's got somewhere in there. It's got to be something a little better. And I thought, oh, well, as I got farther and deeper and deeper, I realized that they were categorized and these are the things that would happen to you if you broke the law. These are kind of like the the ordinances of the time. They all got kind of included in things. And then I realized that if, if you did the wrong thing, then they would not only condemn you and then they'd kill you the same day, but then they'd hang you from a tree outside the city so everybody would see that you were worthless. And then before the sun fell, they'd throw you in a grave because they didn't want your body to bring anything bad, any bad mojo to the community. So they'd throw you in a hole. Okay, now... Folks, keep in mind the, the you know Genesis. God spoke; the earth was created. All these things were happening. There was sin, you know, the whole Adam and Eve thing. So things had spun out of control pretty vigorously, and people were, were doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And there had to be some rules and laws of order, but there was that bridge, that that chasm between mistake and grace, was so enormous that they were trying to fill it with oxen and sacrifice. They didn't have a, a, a connection, a direct connection, a way to say, God, please hear me, and feel worthy of even having that conversation. It was complicated. I don't know, is that like complicated to anybody else? That's just like 50 of the 613. All right, that's just me. All right. So that kind of leaves you here, one, it was a bit perplexed. After you look at all of that and you're you're seeing the history you see where it's going but I'm beginning to understand better why what Jesus was saying was so divisive to the leaders of the church of that day because he was not redirecting to the sacrificial offerings because he knew he was about to become the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices so can you imagine if you're, you're ahead of the, the group and now you're, you're, you're hearing this man come in and say, you don't re- look, it's okay, there's something good company, coming, I, I'm going to show you the way, I am the way, the truth, and the light. They're starting to hear these things, but they're not hearing a redirect to the 613. It's causing them to be a little bit nervous. Bringing us back to God's admon- uh, Jesus' admonition when he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your enemy, I mean, love your neighbor and your enemy as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. He was beginning again to bring it back to a personal relationship. Your God. Yours. When you read Scripture, a lot of times it'll say the God of, and it'll have a comma and about 50 names, right? Your God that may have also been the God of Abraham, Isaac. But yours, he's bringing it home. He's saying, look, you and this love your neighbor thing, well, if you love your neighbor, I just wiped out about 200 of those little teeny weeny lines I just showed you. Because now the offense where your oxen has gone into someone else's land to graze, that oxen must now be this or that, and you must pay rest. Oh my gosh, if you love and care for your neighbor, just send a cow home. We just skipped a big admin process. But see, there was no grace. We're learning grace. So you can see why they may have been a bit perplexed by this man who said, look, there's an easier way. There's an easier way. God loves you. He cares for you. He wants to take care of you. But can you see how simplicity of connection with God could have caused fear for those who liked it complicated. Am I making any sense? Am I going too deep today? Am I around the horn? Am I needing need to draw you back in? Fear, an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous. They thought Jesus was dangerous. Terror, fright, horror, alarm, panic, agitation, trepidation, dread, consternation, dismay, distress. We saw all of those things play out just before the crucifixion. They were all freaking out that somebody was going to disrupt the flow of how sacrifice is made, how control over the connection with God is managed, and who has access and when. Do you realize how undeity-like a a leader is when all of a sudden you say, I don't need you to talk to God for me anymore. I'm going to talk to God. Jesus was starting to present a plan that said, I am paving the way for you. I'm making a way for you. I'm not telling you, you must do this, that, or the other. It was such a different conversation. Can you imagine? While other people are saying, well, on 379, you need to do this, this, and this. Make sure the full moon, the full moon, you have to do three of these, two of those, five of these. This is how we do our our offering, our sacrifice. And then Jesus walks up and he doesn't mention any of that. He just says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You have to the Father through me. And they're all walking around going, well, I can only imagine the conversations that never get written down. Can you imagine the people walking up to him with a dove in their pocket? Thank you for teaching us today. I want to... Make a sacrifice so that, that you know that you're appreciated and loved. And Jesus happened to go, <laughs> no, we're, we're good. We're good. There's something better coming. There's freedom coming. We're good. That in and of itself was just odd and foreign. There had to be a, a liberating conversation happening there between people and Christ when all of a sudden he was Reachable. You could have a conversation. He didn't, he didn't dress the same. He didn't look the same. He didn't act the same. And he kept talking about, my God, personal. Okay, so now these guys are uptight. Because they saw it as a threat. Not as an opportunity. Jesus said, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. knock and the door will be open to you. Is that threatening? Or is that liberating? Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Is that threatening? Or is that an opportunity? Going, wow, if, it's an if-then statement. If you extend mercy, you will receive mercy. That was totally contrary to the other things I showed you. I did not come to give you life, but life more abundantly. Can you feel an abundance of life being provided when you're deliberate, You're liberating people from an infinite list of do's and don'ts into two? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Can, can you see that, that change beginning to happen? Can you see why people would all of a sudden be going, wow, there is something... Different about this guy. Meanwhile, all of this is happening and the, the basket of loaves and fishes, you know, that starts to expand and the story gets out that there were only two and it fed all these people and you're, you're hearing all, all these things and then there's the Lazarus thing and, and, well, he was dead but then Jesus showed up and she was kind of upset because he was late, all right? Because, you know, he died and they were all grieving and upset and he said, hey, I got this. Don't go in there. He's been dead for days. It's all right. And Jesus goes in and he walks out. And the crowd freaks out and the Pharisees and the Sadducees on the sideline go, Holy moly, something's going on with this guy. He's talking about love the Lord God with all your heart, life more abundantly. He's walking up to tombs and pulling people out. This guy is a threat. I'm going to ask you, is he a threat or an opportunity for you? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In the Greek, when you said I am, that was one of the most definitive statements you could say. It was like pounding a gavel. I am! It wasn't, well, I am. It was extremely definitive. You didn't use those two words together unless you were like passionate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There was no doubt. He wasn't wasn't sheepishly going into this statement, well, I am, kind of. No, it was definitive. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Hey, those of you with the 613, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am going to be the sacrifice. I will be the bridge between here and there. I'm about to make life a lot less complicated for those who believe. Have we accepted less complicated? No one comes to the Father except through me. In that one statement, half of the 613 are eliminated. The need for all of the blood sacrifices was about to be eliminated by the sacrifice of Christ. Jesus said. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Is that threatening or is that liberating? I do not give to you as the world gives. Remember, back in the 613, every full moon there was the oxen and the sheep and the cattle and the calf and the this and the that and the other thing that you had to do which meant every time, it only lasted for a cycle, and then you had to do it again. Then you had to do it again. It was a constant, it was on your calendar. You paid attention to the lunar. (laughs) You were making sure what's going on. No, but the world wants you to repeat and go over and do again and and perhaps take back and then you gotta earn it all out. All this trifling, he's not doing it like that. He said, look, I'm giving you my peace, it's yours. I'm not going to take it from you, but I'll tell you what, we certainly do give it away on occasion. Let not your hearts be troubled, do not be afraid. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Is that a threat or an opportunity? Bread of life. He's talking about feeding that spiritual need. You'll Never be hungry again. You'll know that there's someone who loves you and cares for you and is willing to meet you where you are. Believe in me and you'll never be thirsty. When you, any of you seek wisdom, ask. When you have a need in your heart, when you're at that lowest point where you can cry no more, Jesus is still there with you. It doesn't say that sadness does not happen and that tragedy does not come, but he says, I will be with you. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This week I asked a bunch of people, who said that? Nobody could tell me that Jesus said it. They knew it was in the Bible, (laughs) which is a little frightening because they got kind of hung up on the fact that, that he gave his only begotten son, they said, well, why would he be talking about himself like that? Because he already knew his position. He was confident in who he was and whose he was. He knew the direction he was headed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The word should not perish means you have to make a decision of belief. The option is yours. So you still have the option to not believe at all. I don't recommend it one bit. But you have the option. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. The promise of eternity. The promise that this life ends. There is another and if you believe in Jesus as Lord and personal Savior, it's available to you. Is that a threat or an opportunity? Now, where we sit today, we hear opportunity. But can you imagine there being where they were? It Was it an opportunity or a threat? Oh, my gosh. He has said that he holds the keys to eternity, that he is giving you opportunity to enter in. You will live. You will live. So now you've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're all together, and Jesus is... We're having Palm Sunday. We're having their crucifixion. We're having the tombs open up. We're having Jesus missing. I was reading this week about the shroud in the tomb, and it was talking about how it was not on the floor, but it was on the... the I don't know what you call it, but the creche or whatever it is where you lay the body, right? And they said the significance of that in Jewish culture. When you go to, a, uh, in that time, when you went to a, a meal and you had a great dinner and they fed you well and they treated you nicely, when you were done, the tradition was you take your napkin and you ball it up and you put it in your seat. And if you placed it in your seat, that meant I was, not, I was fed well, I was not offended, no one hurt my feelings, nothing bad went on, I'm glad I'm here, I'd come back means all those things. If you fold your napkin up nicely or place it on the table when you leave, it is, I was not welcomed. I was not treated well. I was rejected. I won't come back. Jesus left his shroud on the table in the tomb, basically, because he's not going back in the tomb. And I found that to be kind of an interesting symbolism, that even as he was leaving the tomb, he knew death where is your sting you will no more will we go through this process that sacrifice was made complete i just thought that was interesting and jesus said therefore i tell you whatever you ask for in prayer believe that you have received it and it will be yours and when you stand praying if you hold anything against anyone forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins This one right here is a big one for us today. We are knocking, we're asking. He's saying, I I, I want to provide for you the things that you are asking, but I'm asking you to do something. Forgive those who have hurt you. Forgive those who have offended you. Let it go. These are the things that, I really hope today we can walk away with an understanding of that everything that we're heading towards for Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday and the remembrance and the reflection, all of that has already come to pass. All of these promises are already ours. Everything has come to pass. There are more than 5,000 promises in the Bible, not one lie. And then there's all of a sudden there's asking you to do something. Forgive those who've hurt you, who've wronged you, who've upset you. Forgive them and let it go so that you can come into the fullness of the blessing of what God wants to do in your life. That's one of the places I'd like for us to figure out where to go today or this week, is just to do that little subtle evaluation of your own life. Is there somebody that you think of that just irritates you the minute they cross your mind? All right? I want you in a moment, now look, a lot of people misinterpret what I'm trying to say. I want you to pray for them. The Bible says that when you pray for those who have wronged you, it's like heaping coals of condemnation on their head. In other words, as you pray for God to bless them, he wants to bless them so much, he will begin to work on whatever is necessary to accommodate him being able to bless them. But you've got to let it go. You don't get to hold on to it anymore. This doesn't mean that you go, okay, well, I heard a thing at church. I remember a buddy talking about once, somebody calling him out of the blue, saying, well, I need to forgive you, and I have. And Buddy's like, awesome. He had the wisdom not to say, what for? What? When was that? And dig it all back up again. Because Buddy hadn't given it another thought. He didn't know what he'd done. Do you know how many things that we carry around every day in our backpacks and purses that we think are big deals, but if we are actually to have a conversation with that other person, they might probably say what Buddy said? Huh? No comprehension of perhaps what happened or wasn't a big deal or really, I thought we were over that. They'd blow it off and let it go. I don't know. But I'm not asking you to go pound on doors and say, God told me to forgive you, so I'm standing here to forgive you. That's not what I... You've got to seek the Lord and get to say what's... What I'm asking you to do is is on your knees or, or at the table or wherever you are, say, God, look... I, my heart hurts. This person has hurt me really bad and, and I know you were hurt and you know what that's like. Help me forgive them. And then how you start that forgiveness process is really hard sometimes, but you say, Lord, bless. God, please bless them. God, provide all their needs. God, if they need money, then help them to get the money they need. They need a job, help them to find a job. They need somebody to love them, help them to have people love them. God, bless them. You pray everything you can think of to just bless them. And you'll feel your heart start to change. Because now you're not thinking about, get them, God. You're thinking, all right, Lord, bless them. Bless them. You love me, and I know you're going to take care of me. But God, bless them. Take care of them. Because on the back end of that, God's going to say, you know, you prayed the right thing. I want to bless them. But they don't know me. So he's going to begin to do things in the background to help them get to know him. Have people that enter, all of a sudden come into their lives that are introducing them to God. You never know. Years down the road, all of a sudden, you may run into this person that you prayed for and they say, I don't know what happened, but God got me. And you're in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I know what happened. I was praying for God to get you. But meanwhile... You've got to let go of the weight you're carrying around with that unforgiveness. You've got to let it go. You want to celebrate Easter this year? You want to feel that liberating spirit of Jesus resurrected? Let it go. He will fill your need. Every hurt you've got, he'll cover it. Every scar you carry, he'll heal. And you know, he does really amazing things with scars. He turns them into testimonies. And then all of a sudden, you are leading someone else to hear where they're able to forgive someone and forget and move on. The sacrifice was made. We talk about, I I find it kind of ironic that we come to the Easter celebration and then i got to have the conversation always about why are the bunny rabbits there? And I can tell you that if you want to know. And then we got to get beyond that, beyond the Easter eggs and the stuff on the countertop to, yeah, there's Palm Sunday and no, it's not about the thing, but it's really cool. And no, it was about Jesus and what he said, and then he made it to the cross, and then all these things happened, and then, you know, I've written a lot of stories about the crucifixion for television and stuff, and CBN and all that stuff, right? And so I've had to do all this research, and I think there's a story to be told, because I've really kind of wondered, even yesterday, I was, I was reading in Gethsemane, you know, when Jesus went to pray, and they were coming, and then they fell asleep, you know, all that stuff, well, what's the first thing that happened? They came, Jesus was praying, the guys got up, and they were like, oh, and they take the sword and they, right, and they cut the guy's ear off, okay, and then Jesus is like, and he puts it back on. That guy is a story. I want to know where that guy stood after his ear was severed off, and in a flash, it was put back on. He should have run from that Gethsemane. He should have run from Gethsemane. He's all like, Gee, he is who he says he is. What was he thinking? What were the other guys around him, all the sort? I'd have dropped mine, I think, if I'd have been on one of those guys. Ting. <laughs> you would have heard it, hit the ground. Because that would have been amazing. That's not something you see every day but the story played out the story continued because of what god had intended to happen we treat easter like it happens new every year it happened it's in your life every day we remember it i remember when i grew up in church and uh, a lot of us all went to the same church but when we came around to easter it was the new clothes you got to get your new suit your new clothes your new shoes you know when you're a kid you dress up nice you get everything on the floral dress all that stuff that was easter you were celebrating newness And that's awesome. That's great. It was fun. I enjoyed it. It was a a good time. I remember with my mom going to find, it was those shiny black shoes when you were a little girl. Everybody had to have shiny black shoes. Anyway, those are wonderful memories. But you can celebrate newness every day. The crucifixion has happened. The tomb was full. The tomb is empty. He's not there anymore. So when you come to Easter, I want you to remember, he's not there. He has not been there. He folded his stuff and he did not return. So I need you to go here and say, God, search my heart and find those places where I've just accepted that people are mean, hateful, awful people. They say terrible things they hurt deeply, they move on. That's the hardest lesson for me to teach my son that there are friends that are for a reason, for a season, and for a lifetime. Because when those transitions happen, there's hurt. But you've got to let it go. Do you want to go into that fullness of all those promises, the more than 5,000 promises that are available to you? You want those in your life. You've got to let some of that stuff go so you can fully receive it. That prayer to change me, Lord, is the hardest prayer you're going to pray because there's a little bit of fear that comes with that prayer because you don't know where God's going to go with it. And what if it isn't exactly what you wanted? What if in your prayer of God, change me, God says, okay. All right, Angela, I need you to go hand out Bibles at the Food Lion. Um, uh, okay. What if, what if that's the voice you hear? What if it's a direction to do something you feel totally uncomfortable with? You know, when I read things that talk about uh, when I've had to do funerals and things, and you always run across that as you're planning a funeral, you're looking at the guidelines of things, and that quote is always there somewhere that says, uh, most people would rather be in the box than at the podium at the funeral. They don't want to do the public speaking. They'd They'd rather be the dead one than the one delivering the eulogy. Because of the fear. But what if God called you to do that? What if God said, okay, Angela, you need to do that? I've experienced that, where all of a sudden I get a call from across the street, and she says, hey, we have a family here who has no pastor, they have no minister, they have no one, but they need someone to do a eulogy. Would you come do that? Now, that's a complicated situation. That is one that causes me a great deal of anguish because I know I'm stepping into a highly tense situation. I don't know who they are. They don't know who I am. But it's an opportunity for Jesus to do his thing. So here we go. But in that prayer of God, change me. You never know. My point is you never know what he's going to ask of you. But I can guarantee you it will be better than where you are right now. Are you willing to take that risk? Change means to become different, to make something different, to become something else. We all have things in our lives we need to let go and need to change. None of us have arrived, myself included. On a daily basis, there are things God has to work out in my life. Are you willing to ask him, Lord God, change me and make me more like you every day? Help me to be able to hear and understand your voice. One of the most powerful things that Jesus said was, come. Come. Jesus and Matthew, Peter stepped out of the boat onto the water and it wasn't calm, it was a storm. I have been in back river in a storm in a little 19 foot boat and it's going side to side. I am just happy to keep going straight. I cannot imagine as Peter looked at Jesus and said, call me to you, can I come, call me to you. Can I, I want to come over there. What kind of faith is that? That's awesome. And then Jesus looks at him calmly in the middle of the storm and the waves. Come. It was simple. It wasn't a whole lot of direction. It wasn't make sure you step on the side. Make sure you don't, hey, don't flip the boat over. Do it in one. There was no direction about how. It was just do it. Come. Whatever you got to do, get over here. And he stepped out. And God delivered the miracle. With the step came the miracle. I've heard people all the time say, you know, I don't know where my miracle is. It's that next step. Your next step. You've got to keep moving. You can't just stand there and languish. Your next step Maybe that moment where that miracle comes because for Peter it was. It was in that moment that he stepped on the water. But then something happened. Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he looked at the storm he looked at the waves and common sense kicked in and said, what am I doing? And as he began to question, his faith gave way to fear and he began to sink. So lots of stories can be told out of this little passage right here but the most importantly is Jesus said come. And where Jesus calls you, if you keep your eyes on him while he's doing the calling and you keep going in the direction he's called you to do, then all this yammering from everybody else that tells you you're nuts for doing it ceases to be important because your focus is on the one that called you. Nobody else has experienced that where you felt like, well, this is what I need to do and you step out to do it and immediately somebody's got an opinion. Well, y'all are blessed, because i got opinions everywhere. You know, oh, why'd you do that? What are you doing this for? Where are you going? I don't know. And they all have very reasonable ways to have opinions. You know, well, I feel like, you know, I need to go do this mission trip. Well, how are you going to pay for that? What are you going to do with Nicholas? How is he going to go? Oh, my gosh. What if ISIS is there? You know, (laughs) everybody's got everything. Okay, i got to be like the train on the track. All right, Jesus is in front of me. He's woohoo! I'm standing right here heading down the track because the minute I try to steer that train off the track, we got collisions, we got awful stuff happening, and it's going to take a lot to get it righted again. You got to know who to listen to. Don't let your faith give way to fear, but listen to his voice when he says, "Come," and if you focus on him, you will not sink. Maybe it's time to take that step beyond what you think you can handle. Well, beyond what, or, uh, that you think you're capable of or comfortable with and maybe place your feet firmly in the steps of Jesus as he says to come. Are you willing to do that? I realize I've given you a mouthful but what I'm asking is, hey, you do what you feel good with, you do what you're comfortable with but what if God called you to step out of that comfort zone? Do something uncomfortable for God. Are you willing to try that? I can tell you right now that there is an uncomfortableness that happens when you are <clears throat> in a store and you see somebody go up the other aisle and you feel that, and I'm trying to get tennis shoes, all right? I've got Nicholas with me. You all know boys and shoes, they don't enjoy the process, right? Okay, that color, yeah, that's fine. They won't even try them on half the time, don't have time for that. All right, so we're in the middle of this process. Meanwhile, over there, I hear, and I can hear God saying, you need to go talk to them. Well, they got tattoos, they got all sorts of stuff going on, we got this hair going on. There were intimidating factors just in the sheer glance that said, wow, we might not have a lot in common initially, right? You know, so it wasn't a comfortable place to go. But as I'm listening, and I'm trying to ignore it, and I'm trying to find the shoes, it's getting on my last nerve. I've got to do it. So finally I look at necklace, look, hold the shoes, come with me. Mom, what are you doing? i got to go talk to that guy. Mom! Because he's seeing what I'm seeing. Right? So we walk across the store. I find a guy. And I start the conversation with nice tattoos. Because I don't know what to say. Nice tattoos. (laughs) All right. right, I'm here already. And then all of a sudden, you see the guy kind of look at me. And he goes, thanks. And I said, every tattoo's got a story, right? I don't know why I'm saying these things. I don't know. And he says, yeah, yeah, that, that one's for my mom. And then his t- eyes well up. My m- she just passed. That's why I'm supposed to be standing here. Did your mama know Jesus? Yeah, she knew Jesus. See this one? I got that one because she believes. I said, Well, where are you at? Well, I don't know. I said, Don't you want to see your mama again? Oh, yeah. Buddy, it's more than ink, it's more than ink. Do you see how God can all of a sudden, if you'll pay attention to that still small voice, you'll find yourself in some crazy places talking to some potentially strange and different people, myself included, and then God does something. But what I'm trying to tell you is in the risk, when you walk forward into it, there is intrepidation and you feel a little nervous and you kind of feel stupid and you're not sure what you're going to say and there's all these things telling you why you shouldn't be doing this. But when you're done and you walk away, I was ready to look at shoes. I'm ready to go. I mean, there is a joy that is in your heart. Nicholas could not have and wind, wind me out of it. It didn't matter. Mama was happy. Because it changes your whole disposition. Because now, not only have you seen, have been the, had the honor of being a part of somebody hearing the message, but you walk away going, oh my gosh, I've listened And it builds your confidence that you can hear. Do you need any confidence that you can hear? Then the next time you get that little tick, that thing that says, the lady behind you has two items. Let her go in front of you at the grocery store and then pay for them. I've had that one. And have you had that one? Only to realize that after you pay for the eggs and the milk, the lady who looked like she had everything couldn't really afford them. It was a strange conversation. God opened the door. Does that mean I'm awesome? No, it means I am willing to listen and in all of my fallibility between fussing on the bus and doing homework at night and being just a normal human being, I am trying very hard to step out of the comfort of my day-to-day and do something a little different because that's where you find the miracles. The miracle happened when he stepped out of the boat, not while he was standing in it. Are you willing to get out of the boat? Because I've met so many people who talk to me about their faith being dormant and passive and boring. Well, get out of the boat! If you are bored being a Christian, then you have not experienced being a Christian. That sounds a little harsh, but I'm being honest with you. Are you willing to take a risk on behalf of somebody else? And guess what? It is the fulfillment of that second thing, love your neighbor as yourself. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing? I want to feel the water harden under my feet. Do you want that? He had to push aside everything he knew about waves, water, fishing, boating, robes, the weight of that, dragging you under. I can remember daddy talking about the coveralls, you know, they wore when he would go fishing with his grandpa and they came all the way up and hooked. And he said, I'm always real careful about that when I get on the boat. And I said, why is that? He said, because if I fall overboard and those things get full, I can't get that off. they will drag me to the bottom. So these guys... Can you imagine that Peter knew, hey, I got all this stuff on. When I sink, I'm going to be heavy. It's going to be hard to get back in the boat. There were, he had all the logical reasons not to, but he had a desire. He asked and he received his answer, come. What is the desire of your heart? Ask God about it. Listen closely for come. And then have the guts to step out of the boat the courage. So what's holding you back? That's a question for all of us. We've all got a own. What's holding you back? What prevents you from asking, all right, Lord, here's, what I, here's the desire in my heart. Show me. What, what is preventing you? What is holding you back? Everybody's staring at me, but I know we've all got them. We've all got those things that hold us back. Ask you a question. Have you become a bit tainted? When I hear the ladies on the show talking about God, and they say, Well, if you're talking to God, now I understand that, but if God's talking to you, you must be crazy. And I heard all this uproar of everybody getting all mad at her. I felt completely sorry for her. I cannot make it through this life without hearing the voice of God. And I'm not talking the Charlton Heston, thus saith the Lord. I'm talking that still small voice at the stop sign that says, don't go. In my head, stop. And the dump truck goes by. Or that it will be okay. When you pray and you feel something, say, it's all right. It's going to be all right. In your heart, you just know that voice of God that sometimes is telling you the exact opposite of what you're spinning up in your mind. It's no, 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 no. It's all right. I felt sorry for her that she had not experienced that. Because that's no way to live. That is no way to live. Have you become tainted? Do you expect miracles to happen anymore? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe any of the promises and the words of, of Jesus that we've gone over so far? Do you believe any of that? What does tainted actually mean? It means contaminated or polluted. Has your faith gotten polluted? Do you read the horoscopes every morning? Oh, just because it's fun, silly stuff to do over coffee and never spend any time in the Word. Do you realize that that's directing your life and, and starting to manipulate your thoughts and beginning to pollute the way you look at the world? I've had people that I've dealt with before in, in counseling situations, and they, they look at the, the daily devotional as almost like a, a tarot card for the day where they'll flip it up and read what it says, and they'll say, oh, today's going to be a bad day because it said this scripture. No, 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 no. That is not the way it works. It says, "Newness comes every morning, and that the grace of God is with you, and that he loves you and he cares for you. If anything is hindering you, is tainting, is polluting the true, fact, faith-filled word of God, then you need to eliminate it. And that includes what you're watching on TV, That includes what you're listening to on the radio. It includes what you're reading. And I'll tell you another thing I learned a long time ago in ministry. You better look at the back of the book and learn something about who wrote the book before you read it. I remember when Oprah came out with The Secret. You remember that? And everybody was reading The Secret. And it was all about if you can imagine it in your mind. I'm like, what? Yeah, call on me, I'll answer you, show you great money. But show me Jesus somewhere in that book because that's really, that's your power source. That's your connection. That's where dreams come true is when you go, God, I submit myself to you. Please forgive me for my sins. Show me the best place you have for me because far more than I could possibly think he has for me. But are you willing to be open to that? Have you believed a lie? This was really heavy on my heart this week because I, I just feel like there are so many people that this has kept them from receiving the promises that God has for them. Have you, have you believed a lie? You say, what are you talking about? Well, I want you to imagine it says that that he sustains us, that, it, that we'll never go thirsty. And then I want you to imagine that moment when you maybe you first believed or, or go back even further, where you say, you know, Lord, forgive me of my sins and help me. And if you've never prayed that prayer, then, then this might be a little hard to understand, but I think you get it. When, when you're born, this is where you are. God, God says, look, I want to be your supply. I want to fill your every need. And, and you listen and you go to church and it says, hey, Jesus loves me. And you go to church as a kid. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. You do all that. And you say, okay, you know, God loves me. And the the Psalms are comforting and the Proverbs are directing. And then all of a sudden you get with somebody who maybe has a little bit different opinion of you in general. And then they say, you know something? You're nothing. You're worthless. You're not smart. Man, you're ugly. What's wrong with you? You'll never be anything. What are you going to college for? That's a waste of money. I don't love you. I don't care about you. You're nothing. Words taint the way we receive everything. And now all of a sudden in our hearts, we hear more loudly what others have told us we aren't than what God tells us we are. And if you don't spend any time with Jesus, this gets darker and darker and harder and harder. And then, of course, there's the well-intentioned. Well, they're not spending any time with Jesus either. And you can go on to the next one. They aren't spending any time with Jesus either. They've got their own opinions. They are showing you the way to go. I got this other thing. Hey, this could possibly help. This is what I'll. I have a suggestion for you. They never mention Jesus. And then, of course, the one pours into the other, and they each are feeding one another. Is anything getting any better? They got an opinion. You got an opinion. I'm missing the Jesus portion of this program. Because, see, I've always asked, have you. Do you talk more on the phone than you do to Jesus? Do you text more than you talk to Jesus? Do you flip through the channels on the guide on the TV and read more there than you do in the scripture? Because, how can this be offset if you're not putting in anything that is the absolute truth? And now you're tainted. And I would say, come on, man, hey, want a drink? Here you go. Man, what have I got to offer you? Would you drink that? But we do it every day. The TV goes, hey, here you go. We got a new thing. We found something. It was under a rock. Jesus isn't real. Here, have a drink. And we tune in for episode two. We got somebody on the radio going, "Ah, oh, I don't know. The shroud, it's dated. It's all a bunch of bunk. Here you go. My favorite one at this time of year is I was crucified, but yeah, was it in his wrists or his hands? You guys have heard me tell you that before. It doesn't matter. He died and rose again. Can we get off the semantics and into the victory? But you drink this every day that you do not spend any time with Jesus and you do not know his word and you do not know any of those scriptures that I just told you. Drink it. Does this give life? Honestly, when your friend who's well-intentioned but really lost gives you advice, does it bring life? So, you know there's an the end to this story, right? Oh, I'm going to need napkins and rags and everything else. It's Okay. So now, this is the reality of people talking about stuff and saying mean and hateful things. This is just one day. Let's just take this as one day. You got up, your glass started here, you went to work. By 5 o'clock, you're somewhere around here because you've heard all day that you're, you're worthless, you might get laid off, you're not really necessary. You got on the phone with a friend who told you, well, you know, I really don't want to be your friend anymore. Or you saw something on Facebook that was really unhelpful. And then on the way, you you listened to something on the radio that just made you feel awful, but made you think. And then family got complicated, and people said things, and I don't know. This is what, about 7 p.m.? We're going to try to start here with a newness every day, and we're going to get to about 7. But, you know, I'm going to go to bed. I don't have any time for Jesus or anything like that right today. I'm exhausted. And you know what happens? You wake up in the same place. So, what do we do? You have to set yourself apart, you've got to get away for a minute. You're going to have to spend some time with Jesus. And I'm not talking, getting with 50 people in a prayer group and everybody. That'll come. But you and Jesus need to have a conversation. You better get with him. You better get in the Word. You say, I don't know where to start. I don't care. Flip it open. I don't know how to pray. Close your eyes and start to talk. And you start with, Jesus, please help me. And it says that, that every day that he has an abundance so if every day I come to him with my seven o'clock and God help me, and I just stop right there. I'm still tainted. I've still got my issues from the day. Maybe I'm unf- I have unforgiveness, but if I spend enough time with Jesus, if I just go after him and if I seek Him, if I go on and on, I say, "Oh Lord, God, please help me. The more I go, the clearer my water is getting. Eventually, once I overflow this container, I've spent enough time, I'm here. I realize that my source is Jesus and that He, every word that's spoken that has pierced my heart and hurt me, He will clear. He will replace it with, you are loved. You are cared for. Of course you have talent. Of course you have ability. Of course there are things I've called you specifically to do. I pray with Nicholas every night when he goes to bed. Thank you, God. You have a purpose for his life. It's something big and he's going to go do awesome things. Every night. Because I'm speaking what I don't even know is coming into his life. God wants to do that for you every day. As your loving father, he wants to say, hey, 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 hey. People, People are mean. Pray for them. But look, I love you. Let me clear this out for you. You don't have to carry the hurt of people not loving you anymore. You don't have to carry around the anguish and the angst of somebody who said something awful. You don't have to carry around that, that almost like an edict that somebody said over you as a child that you'll never be anything. Because that's become the litmus for everything that God wants to do in your life. All of a sudden you hear that voice again. God wants to silence those voices. And he wants you every day to spend time with him and the more time you spend with Him, the clearer this gets until all of a sudden you start seeing this stuff coming and you put a lid on it. You see him coming. You're nothing. Now I don't hear what they're saying. I hear a hurting person trying to drag me under because they don't have any hope. Now I know who to pray for. Not Go home and cry and be upset because I've been tainted and hurt and have no source of replenishment. God is your source of encouragement. He is your source of future promise. Nothing anyone has ever said to you will come to fruition unless God ordains it to be so. So if he's got the authority to change and work through your life, Why wouldn't you want to tap into him every day? When we are thirsty, physically, we have the sense enough to stop at the 7-Eleven and get a bottle of water. But when we are thirsty spiritually, somehow, some days, we lack the wisdom to go to the right source. Change that today. Right here. Jesus said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Do you realize that the more you are plugged in to God, the more you pray, the more you read, the stronger you get, the clearer it becomes that God has a call on your life. Now you become an extension of him and are able to pour into someone else's life and begin to clear the hurt and damage that has been done. Are you willing to step out of the boat? Because that's what I just asked you to do. But it starts here first. And know that I am with you always to the end of time. That's the last Jesus said, I'm going to leave you with it today, because in the middle of all of these seasons of life and all of these experiences, He never leaves you or forsakes you. He's not going anywhere. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord, and I pray right now, God, those who have been hurt, those God who have things that in their lives, God, that they've held on for sometimes decades. God, I ask in Jesus' name, you allow them the opportunity to let them go right now. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to them, that you would heal them, that you would deliver them. I pray, Lord God, they would see that you have a better way and that, God, your voice can replace the murmurings of the past and the hurts that have lingered. God, I pray right now, if anyone right now is listening and you don't know Jesus as Lord and personal Savior, it does not matter that you don't know all the details of everything. The detail you need to know is that Jesus loves you. He cares for you. And that he died on a cross and he rose from the dead and he is the only living God. And he cares for you. So today, all you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Please forgive me of my sins and my mistakes and the things, Lord God, that I've done wrong. I ask, Lord God, you would just please forgive me. Help me, God, to hear your voice. Help me, God, to understand your word. Give me, Lord God, a desire to know you more. If you prayed that prayer, you've accepted Jesus into your heart. It's time to tell somebody about that. It's time to step out. It's time to understand that your life is different and it's going to be different and it's going to take a process where you begin to realize and and recognize God's voice. I'm going to tell you right now, for my own life, it is the best decision that you will ever make and it is one you will never regret. So God, I pray for everyone listening and all of us here. God, I pray, give us the wisdom to hear your voice. Help us hear you definitively say, Come And help us know where to step and what to do to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.